Chris Gordon, I'm the events manager for Readings and one of the things that I love to do most of all is have conversations with very interesting people and today I'm completely delighted to have Oslo Davies in the studio with me. Hello. 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 Now (laughs) Oslo, as we know, is an illustrator, an artist and a cartoonist. His work has appeared in The Age, The New York Times, The Guardian and online for SBS. He also draws for the Golden Plains Music Festival, for the National Gallery of Victoria, for Triple R and for the Wheeler Centre. But most importantly, he also draws for readings. Yes, I do. Have been for... For years. A few years now. How many years? Five years? Six it's, years? It's fantastic. We uh, we love your work and we know that lots of people do. We get lots of comments all the time. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for being part of the Readings family, as we would like <laughs> to say. Uh, so when I think about your work, though, and the way that it's been changing gradually over the last sort of 10 years, what what's, what's happened? Why have you been on this sort of pilgrim of... Uh, experiences where your work has become so great and so much part of your life that you can now do it full time. Yeah, wow. I don't know. But I get bored doing things very easy. Yeah, uh, right. Very so if things, are, yeah. if things are easy, forget it. Well, yeah. I mean, I like doing easy things, don't get me wrong, but uh, I like doing different things. And I, I think if I get stuck in a rut, I want to just uh, jump out of it and shake myself and run onto another rut I can get stuck in. Because uh, it's it's not very um, create creativity-inducing if you're stuck in a rut or you're doing something the same. No, it's not. And if you're in a creative field, you've got to keep changing things up a bit, I guess. I don't know how the guy, Charles Schultz, did peanuts for 60 years every day of his life, probably except for weekends, but even then, I doubt it. Yeah. He did peanuts. He did a strip for peanuts, and it was published for 60 years. Isn't that ridiculous? And he dropped dead at his drawing board, basically. Didn't he? Do I was like, this, this actually could happen to you. You could be doing overheard, <laughs> you know, for another 50 years. For if I've still I got my hearing in my old... <laughs> Is it true? Is overheard really true? Do it you is. really overhear them? Yeah, it, it is. It really is. Um, the big thing about it is that I can't make that stuff up. <laughs> and so, dis- uh, so As much as I would love to, uh, I, I just, yeah, I mean, it's really important that I capture the real stuff. Yeah. Um, even the boring stuff. I was talking to someone the other day about this and uh, I said to them, um, and as I was saying it, I think I realised this at the moment, um, it's really important to record the boring stuff and make sure it gets printed. Of course you do. Because it's a record? It's a record. It's how people talk. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, every week it can't be a zinger. Um, but maybe one week it's just like, g'day, Fred, how you going? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> How's Wilma? All good. All right. See you later, mate. I don't know. Maybe that would be an overheard. That could be. Yeah. That absolutely could be. <laughs> so you've got a new book out that actually is talking all about how to be drawing funny and sort of how to be funny and how to take those observations to the next level. 
Uh, it wasn't what I expected with this book, actually. I was pretty surprised. It's very personal, I thought. It's much more about your story, I would have thought, of you as a developing as an artist as it is amongst uh, sage, sage advice. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a collection of my gag cartoons and gag yeah. cartoons are kind of like New Yorker style cartoons yeah. even though they've never been published in the New Yorker I haven't sent them to them but most of them have been published in The Age or The Readings Monthly or a couple of other magazines around town uh, and it's a collection of those from the last five or ten years and it's a mixed and it's mixed in with lots of little uh, thoughts and essays about how to create jokes and how, yeah, I came at doing those jokes and cartoons. How I came up with ideas. I thought it was a terrific uh, kind of expose into the life of a cartoonist. Because perhaps we all imagine that our cartoonists are like Schultz, you know, with the peanuts. But it's not like that, is it? No, yeah. and there's no set template for how someone would become a cartoonist. There's no courses you could really study it. There's no career you don't think path. the Victorian College of Arts is offering this? Well, I'm waiting for them to give me a chance at teaching it. But even then, as I say, I don't think it can be taught. And the best cartoonists come at cartooning from a very organic kind of accidental way. Um, you know, most of them do other jobs. There's Leo Cullum, who, who used to draw for The New Yorker. Uh, he died a few years ago, but he contributed hundreds of cartoons to The New Yorker, but his day job was a pilot, and yeah. he would sit in departure lounges in his pilot gear drawing sketches for cartoons. It's not sort of unlike you, really, with your overheard. Well, yeah, sit around and make money well, by, uh, <laughs> by listening to people. Well, just in that sense, just surround yourself with people. Well, it is a very public thing, even though, of course, art and cartooning is kind of a solo activity. Uh, there, there is a necessity, I guess, to be pretty much engaged with the population either overtly or secretly. That's right. Um, so, yeah, and Overheard's pretty much my sort of connection with everyone, as much as I kind of don't love it all the time, because it's <laughs> it involves me going places where I don't necessarily would need to go, like, uh, you know, markets and... Uh, that sort of thing, farmers' oh, markets. Yeah, I like all that though. I think that it, I think it's terrific. I think you've uh, captured Melbourne well. But back onto your book. I mean, was this a difficult book to write? Was it difficult to sort of organise your thoughts into from where you started and how it how it is now? Yeah, it it was. Although many of these thoughts about how I've uh, come at cartooning and and how I get ideas have. I guess been pretty much in my mind um, for the last five years in creating this work because every time I sit down I think, right, how am I going to actually come up with a joke? How am I going to get to this end point of something being emailed off to an editor, they like it, it gets published, people like it and I get called back to do another one? How do I get that going and so it's a constant fight sounds awful <laughs> it is, actually. It's so it is. stressful well what else is it i think it is, it's pretty much uh the life and times of a cartoonist right there in a nutshell um but you know it's thrilling so the payoff is that it's it's thrilling and it's a buzz and 
you know, you get to see the smile on on uh, the faces of children, as it were. <laughs> you do, and everyone, as you would say, has got a bit of a child in them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I I, it's a great um, privilege to be able to um, have the opportunity to do stuff that people might laugh at. Yeah. Not many people get to do that. And so I, I guess I always have to keep going back to that idea to remind myself that that's what it's all about. But it was quite a journey for you to get to this point. I mean, I've read in this book, you know, that you, you've, you've taken on a variety of other roles prior to this, but you were always sort of a bit of a doodler. Were you always sort of drawing and, and doing paintings? Yeah, well, I, I started uh, drawing kind of street scenes and landscapes and, and coffee cups when I travelled... Uh, through India and Vietnam and Japan. And um, this was the stuff that I did when I wasn't doing my day job. I was sitting in a cafe and looking out the window and drawing the French colonial villas across the road uh, in Hanoi specifically. And over time, I filled up all these sketchbooks of of stuff, uh, of motorcycles and cyclos and um, street food vendors and that sort of thing. Um, and then it became kind of boring but not not super boring but in the sense that i was ready to do something else yeah. and slowly i started doing little funny squiggles and putting captions and speech bubbles on these characters so did i read that you started the, all of this in the national geographic well yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all drawn a moustache yeah. <laughs> somewhere along the line. Well, that's it. I mean, when I didn't have a, a French villa to look at, I would take uh, National Geographic down yeah. off the shelf and, you know, they're often in hairdressers and, uh, and dentists. Youth hostels. And yeah, all, yeah, they're everywhere. <laughs> Laundry mats. Uh, yeah, so I would draw a 16th century man from a uh, <laughs> old National Geographic and then give him a funny speech bubble. And that, those were my first jokes, pretty much. Um, they were quite easy in that way because I already had the drawing from the copying. Yep. And then all I had to do was just to bang some smart-ass comment onto it. Perfect. <laughs> hey, do you think that Melbourne has a sense of humour? Would you think of Melbourne if you were... I'm just thinking about how you were talking about your other, the other cities. Do you think of Melbourne as, as a place that gets a joke? I think so. Probably less so these days. I find that we were probably funnier in the 80s or, you know, kind of reveled in our sort of dagginess and funniness back in the 80s. In the, like, in the, in the uh, decade of excess. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> where we could sort of yell witty comments out at the footy and everyone yeah. around you would laugh. That's right. Do you think that's gone? That's, that's going, isn't it? I that's, think it's going. That freedom it's, or something. It's now more vulgar and yeah. cruel, I it feel. Is. It um, is. You know, with the rise of Twitter and um, trolling, trolling and all that sort of stuff, um, we are less kind of, I don't know, we just felt a little bit more kind of, um, full, of full of fun and, yeah. you know, being a bit more mischievous and... That sort of thing. Whereas today it's a little bit cold-hearted, perhaps? Yeah, I reckon so too. People seem to be a bit more frightened, I think, now. Maybe that's where it comes from. And yeah. there's a kind of a, like a fight-back kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we have a lot of good comedy on TV anymore. No. I, like even, as dag as it sounds, um, Hey Hey It's Saturday was so funny in it, the 80s. Oh, we, I mean, we loved it, didn't we? It was such a big... 
event. F- and the DGEN did some really great stuff. They and did. Rod Quantock with Australia, you're yeah. standing oh. in it. And Tim and you Debbie. You know, and those, and Kylie the Mole. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where's that stuff now? Yeah. Where we were poking such fun at ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I oh, know, we've got Kath and Kim. Maybe we're missing it. Well, that's faded out a bit. Yeah, it has, it has. What's now? Rake, I guess. The Gruen transfer? Yeah. <laughs> it's not really comedy. It's not really, well, that's right, it's... Mm, I don't know. It's yeah. and, I, and also with printed cartoons and stuff, I don't feel as though our newspapers and publications are doing the funny thing as well as they used to, perhaps. I don't know. And do you think, again, that's a fear thing, that... that uh, Cartoonists are perhaps frightened of depicting yeah, yeah. modern life. I mean, probably. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's a it's conscious not been, thing. It's not been a great five years for, for cartoonists. For cartoonists, no, not at all. Um, and I think, yeah, when cartoons kind of have to be um, a tool or a, a vehicle to give a message. That's right. More so these days. I miss the great old days. Like even when Michael Lunick did. Just not not whimsy, but just a really daggy, funny, dumb joke in the car in the newspaper. Yep, you yep. know, on the back of that Saturday extra there. You yeah. know, ten inch, ten centimeters by seven centimeters tall. You know, just ridiculous kind of nonsense stuff. Um, I, I miss that sort of stuff. I, yeah, I, I, I do that. I, I sort of miss seeing that those cartoons yellowing on people's fridges yeah you know they've been out there for so long or on the back of the toilet doors yeah, yeah it's true and now we have calendars i guess which sort of collect the best ones but it's not the same as is, is it i don't think so cutting it out or, or showing your friends what was one of your favorite sort of books when you were growing up were you sort of a fan i wondered when i was looking through this of cole's funny picture book or yeah those, we had that yeah, yeah. Is that, is that, was that something that sort of sparked your imagination back then? Yeah, it was Mad Magazine, I guess. Oh, for, yeah. And that every boy under 18 in the 80s had, <laughs> yeah. had those. I used to love those folds. Yeah, the foldings yeah. at the back. They were, they were good. But I didn't like all of Mad Magazine. And I actually grew to kind of see that it was a bit nasty. It was a mm. bit sort of had a an edge to it that wasn't kind of that great. It was a bit snarky. It was a bit snarky. Bit, bit sort of sick, as they yeah. would say. <laughs> yeah, vomit. Um, mm. There was so I, I gravitated a lot towards stupid comic strips and Hagar the Horrible and um, and Wizard of Eid and all oh, those yeah. ones. And then, of course, it evolved in and then evolved into Gary Larson and uh, Glenn Baxter. That, yeah, those guys who did really great and still well. Glenn Baxter does, I think, really great gag nonsense and um, that's that's what it was started to become interesting was your family did you have these books in your house was that sort of your family were encouraging of, of yeah this? dad yeah. dad loved it he was he is and was uh still uh into comedy in a big way and he got me into um monty python of course and foldy towers and and all the comedy on tv on on the abc as we yeah. mentioned before that i was allowed to stay up and watch. Yeah. Um, Monday night, eight and eight thirty. They were. Yeah, I suppose they were. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he he would laugh. I would laugh. And being a kid, you wanted to know what older people were laughing at. Yeah. There's something about that. You want to get the joke. Yeah, you, you do. want to enter that sort of adult realm of 
of jokes. I always want to say to the kids, relax. It's not so good here. You know, like, it's okay. Take your time. But stay kids. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't grow up so fast. Yeah, yeah. it's true. They, they climb over themselves to get oh, the older, so, don't they? They're so desperate. My daughter is so keen. She says, I can't wait to be free. I'm like, free, free. <laughs> yeah, who's free? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there you are. So what, if you had to sort of nominate one superpower of yours, what would it be? You mean something like, that I can... Like, like, yeah, is it is it that you are an observer or is it that you're a canny drawer or what What, what would be your sort of... How would you define yourself as a, in, in terms of having a superpower? Oh, I don't know because there are people who can draw much better than me. There are people who are definitely funnier than me. So, what? Oh, it's not any of those two. Observing. I, I think I have a reasonable skill at seeing something with fresh eyes, like something in the world with fresh eyes, yeah. like seeing um, a road sign that, uh, you know, the hook turn road sign. If you flip it around, it looks like a question mark, you know. So, uh, I think seeing seeing stuff in in real life and also in the news and um, in politics and social affairs and and that sort of thing, I think I have some skill in kind of seeing a different seeing things in a different way. Like the oh, moment, I think that's right. I think you do it with some kindness, actually. I think I think uh, that's one of your superpowers. I, I'm happy with um, a few of my cartoons, and one of them was um, Margaret Court, who uh, has had a, had a tennis court named after her, the Margaret Court Arena. She, one week, one week had, um, you know, near Rod Laver Arena. It's the Margaret Court Arena. I had no idea. Really? Anyway, there was all this hoo-ha, and she was in the news how she said she didn't agree with gay marriage. Um, so I did this cartoon of these uh, of a gay couple watching the tennis in the Margaret Court Arena um, with their arm around each other. And uh, the security was walking up to them and said, sorry, uh, it's only mixed doubles here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But because I hate that sort of injustice stuff and that, yeah. that kind of inspires me to fight back and do some sort of little witty comment as a, it, as a response. I reckon that's uh, why you've been so successful is because people have come to rely on that, that decency within your cartoons and within your observations. And, and you need to have that because you need to actually, in a way, trust that what you're laughing at is, is okay. Yeah, and they're not going to let you down in the future, yeah. I think. You need to... The same with writers, I think. Yeah, you need absolutely. To, you need to connect with them and yeah. let them lead you. You need to trust them that they're not going to all of a sudden f tell you that they're a um, Nazi sympathiser or they're, or they're a, you know... <laughs> no surprises, <laughs> or, please. Yeah, you know what <laughs> I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe it's the same with cartooning. And I think, um, I mean, I really like Michael, Michael Learning and his work, but I think he... Um, just by uh, his pure character, spoke his mind one day, and it surprised a few people. Uh, it, it, uh, well, uh, do you know what? People that trusted him all of a sudden felt like he wasn't on their side. When perhaps he 
still is for most of it, but on a few he points is. he's not. That's um, right. And that's life, isn't it? You can't have uh, someone on your side 100%. Um, that would be weird. Also boring, I would have thought. Yeah. So um, getting back to it, I think, yeah, you're right. People do need to sort of trust and um, connect with these people, but, uh, but at the same time be realistic that they're going to say something one day that's going to make you... It's going to slap you across the face. Raise your eyebrows. (laughs) 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 Uh, So when you think about all your years of work, what what would have been the best compliment that you've ever received in uh, relation to one of your drawings? uh, I don't... I've had some really nice comments, um, but one of the great comments I ever got was from the late Alex Stitt. Alex Stitt died recently. He's the guy who came up with Slip Slop Slap, um, Norm. So sort of an advertising person. Yeah, well, he's a great illustrator and cartoonist, or he was, and he died um, a couple of weeks ago, sadly. He was very old and sick. Um, But I met him, finally met him one day, and uh, he he was um, signing copies of his book. And I said, hi, I'm Oslo Davis. I really like your work. Um, and he said, uh, uh, and then I said, I do cartoons in the age. Uh, they're, not, they're not that funny. And, and he said, oh, I know you. Yeah, your cartoons are funny enough. And I thought, that's, a, that's, that's exactly all you need to have someone who's well-respected, experienced to say that you're funny enough. That's oh, it. That's very cool. That's very totally cool. cool, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Because what more do you need to be? You don't want them to go crazy over you. No. And coming from someone like him, uh, you know, 60 years of working on some of the biggest, you know, illustration campaigns Australia's ever seen to say that you're funny enough, uh, I think that's great. It's like that wonderful line from Babe. Isn't it at the end of that movie, you know, with the pig? That'll do, pig. That'll do, pig. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's enough. A, it's enough. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I feel. And uh, I'm, I probably mentioned it in the book as well, you know, you just have to get to a point where it's funny enough. You just yeah. have to do the job, make a laugh and get out. <laughs> that's right. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overstay your welcome. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I'm a bookseller, I do have to ask as one of my final questions, uh, what are you reading now? Ah, well, I I read um, a lot of short stories uh, and I'm reading a great collection. It sounds like we've set up this question, but we haven't at all. We haven't? No, um, but I'm reading a great collection of short stories by Joy Williams, the American short story writer and novel, she's written a few novels, called um, The Visiting Privilege, I think it's called. Wow, it's a great name, great title. Joy Williams, check it out. It's so good. What do you like about her writing? She's funny, short, short stories and, you know, five pages long perhaps, um, but really cuts to the bone. A lot of relationship stories, a lot of kind of um, second wife um, marriages, that sort of stuff. <laughs> middle, <laughs> middle, age, middle age, middle ground. Sounds boring, but, it's, <laughs> but she, she, she cuts through and all of a sudden will twist a sentence on its head at, you know, at the last couple of words of the sentence. And it's really funny and I love it. Joy Williams, check it out. Fantastic. Uh, dear listeners, that's all we have time for today. But uh, 
I do absolutely uh, want you to pick up Drawing Funny, Oslo's latest book, uh, if you want to know more about him and if you want to know how to draw funny or do cartoons or, in fact, just know the sort of background of the art of being, as uh, has been said before, funny enough. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you.